Welcome to For the Love of Books, a podcast by North Lancashire Libraries. Hi everyone, welcome back to the North Lancashire Libraries podcast For the Love of Books. My name is Chris Wilson, the e-services librarian, and we have reached the final episode of season three of our podcast. I can't believe we've already reached season three already. But today's episode is going to feature an interview with the fantastic author Sarah Hillary, best known for her series featuring D.I. Marnie Rome, but she is about to release a new standalone book called Fragile, which is fantastic. Um, so we have had, to, I was lucky enough to catch up with her, chat about the book and hear a little bit about what she's been doing as well throughout the last year and also get some recommended reads from her as well. So listen closely and see what you think. So, Sarah, thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Um, it's a great pleasure to have you here. Thank you for, for agreeing to do it. What I'll do is I'll kind of tell our, our readers a little bit about you in case they're not too familiar with you. So you are kind of um, sort of well known for being a crime novelist um, and your de- debut novel, Someone Else's Skin, won the Theaston's Crime Novel of the Year. And, and it's the start of a series that you were writing with D.I. Marnie Rome. And um, it's now on its sixth entry with the last one being uh, Never Been Broken. Um, and I, while I was kind of looking into a few things about you, I also found that you are a killer woman by officially, um, <laughs> which I thought was quite interesting. You are yes. um, part of the Killer Women Collective, um, which is also a kind of collection of uh, crime uh, women crime writers. Um, some of the other notable names that I saw amongst that was Ellie Griffiths and Paula Hawkins and Sharon Bolton, amongst many others, um, which was very interesting. Um, and your new book, which is the one we're going to kind of talk about about in this podcast, is Fragile, which will be due out on the 10th of June, so not long after we put this podcast out, so that's, that must be very exciting to kind of get a new book out for you. Definitely, definitely, especially since it's, you know, with a new publisher, it's a first standalone, so yeah, really interesting, uh, slightly nerve-wracking times. <laughs> Fantastic. And obviously, we're, we're talking about kind of near back in time. We have been living in a very strange time. How have you kind of managed to kind of survive the lockdowns of late? What have you been up to and what's got you by and, and things like that? Yeah. Well, I think I mean, just most recently, I've just been, you know, what a privilege it is to be able to see our loved ones again, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, you know, I've been able to go and sit in my mum's garden, you know, haven't seen nearly enough of her. Um, and it was just so lovely. You know, like this last weekend, I spent some time with my younger brother and my sister-in-law in their garden, you know, and, and it's, I think in some ways, it's those things that we sort of took for granted and maybe didn't make enough time for because we took them for granted you know it's like oh we yeah. can go and see, you know you can go and see your loved ones anytime you want to so you don't maybe make plans the way you would so that has been you know just recently it's been made me aware you know how grateful I am for for those things I, like a, like an open library that you just took for granted <laughs> you know or a, a long walk in the woods that aren't on your doorstep you know I saw my first bluebells last weekend in a wood and that just seemed even more special now um than it than it did last time I saw some you know before all of this yeah. um but it, but sort of talking about you know what back when all of this started you know when you know a year ago or just over a year ago when we were first in lockdown um 
I had, you know, I, like a lot of other writers, I think, I did lose my word mojo. You know, there was a period then mm. when I couldn't write. Um, and almost more frighteningly, I couldn't read either. I couldn't, you know, get stuck into a book, get lost in a book, um, which is so important when you're a writer. You know, it's almost more painful than not being able to write your own words is not being able to read your favourite writer's words, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but it was a massive relief when that came back. So that was maybe, you know, two to three months maximum when I was, you know, not really feeling it because there was so much to be anxious about. Yeah. I mean, let's be fair, there was so much, you know, noise, wasn't there? There was the news, there was the press, there was, you know, um, you know, there was all of that. And a writer, you know, we, we do need an amount of silence so that our, our ideas can, can take form um, and an amount of nothingness and an amount of um, sort of steady ground under our feet so that we can create these, you know, these these strange chaotic worlds that, that we create. But they have, you know, you have to feel quite safe yourself in your own current world to, to really build those edifices you know um yeah. so yeah but it came back and what a relief um and and then once it came back the writing you know I, I I wrote I think that's really what saw me through the subsequent lockdowns um especially the winter months when you couldn't just sit in your garden if you were lucky enough to have one yeah. um and um so you know and I, I'm reading you know so those are the things that got me through ultimately it was the reading and the writing yeah, it's, it's interesting you're talking about the, the how you can struggle a little bit with the creative side of things at the start because because I have asked a few people that and, and a few people have kind of said similar things and it's it's interesting because because maybe kind of on the surface you might have thought like it would be a perfect time to kind of get yeah. creative and things because obviously we are we are kind of being stuck in the, our homes and things yeah. but yeah. but like you say there is obviously kind of other distractions outside that that's kind of been in, in people's minds at the same time so. Um, so yeah, but that's fantastic. And as you mentioned uh, the, uh, a little bit earlier, on, the your new book "Fragile" is your first standalone book. Um, and and I was wondering, how did you find writing that with it, with it being the kind of having written the other series for so long, um, and this would be a completely new set of characters? How did you find kind of setting it, can writing those different characters? I was I loved it it was fascinating it was um I always I tend to think that I don't so much sort of write characters as, as discover them it sounds a bit odd but when I explain it, it won't seem quite so odd so I feel that, that that's why we need the peace and quiet that's why you know that the, the lockdowns certainly at the beginning were, were so difficult um so that the you can listen to the voices so characters will talk to you you just need to sort of you know have enough quiet times um, in order to, to let those, those stories grow inside your head and take form inside your head. Um, and some characters, like some people, are just chattier than others, I think. And uh, Marnie Rome was, was terrible. She was, you know, from, from my series, she was so parsimonious with, with her, her, her secrets. You know, she, it took me six books to, to pull them all out of her effectively. Um, and the cast of Fragile, is a little bit similar to that. So it was a question of discovering them as I was writing them. Mm. Um, and because the book is, is, is full of twists and secrets and, and, yeah. and you know, discoveries right up and in fact, until the, the final page, mm. um, I felt I didn't really know the characters until I had finished that first draft of the book until I had reached that last page with the last surprise on it. Um, yeah. um, but I love writing like that. I love writing to discover to find the surprising things that your characters will do or won't do, you know, the things they refuse to do, um, yeah. which is, um, you know, so I love that that's, you know, in some ways my favorite part of writing. It's a bit like meeting a lot of new friends or, 
you're not necessarily always friends, but you know, it's it's discovering it's people, <laughs> ultimate people watching. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do find it really interesting hearing how how authors can go about kind of creating their novels and creating their characters and things like that because everyone is so different. Um, it's, it's it's always very interesting to find out. Um, and do you want to tell us a little bit more about the book so so that it can kind of give us a little kind of insight into what it's about and things. Absolutely. So I was I was thinking about this, actually. Um, and I think for me, Fragile is a book about searching. Um, so it's a book about searching for the things that we've lost, um, but also searching for the things that might be that, 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 that we might find. And um, it takes place largely in this strange, narrow, um, rather creepy old house in, in modern day London. Um, and the house is, is, is Starling Villas. And it's described as being a sort of slipped between two other modern buildings, a bit like a love letter um, that's been hidden there. And this house is where my young heroine, Nell, goes in search of the young man that she's lost. And instead she finds um, an older man who may or may not be a, a terrible threat to her. Mm. And um, that's, so that's how the story opens with these two strangers meeting one another in this very strange house and choosing to sort of trust one another um, in a way. But we're, you know, it's, it takes a long time before we begin to realize who, who really might have the power in this situation and who is, should really be scared of whom. Um, and that's the sort of book I love to write, a book where you know the reader is constantly guessing um, and um, the clues are constantly emerging um, and uh, surprises, many surprises and twists along the way, I hope. Yeah, no, there definitely, definitely is. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book whenever I was reading it, and and it did, and it did kind of take you by surprise every every so often with a, a kind of little change to the story that you weren't quite expecting to happen and things like that. Um, so you definitely managed to kind of get the, the twists and turns going through the story, like say, even up to the very very end. Um, the the main character, as you see, is is called Nell, um, and she does go through quite a lot of struggles throughout the book, um, and. But she's also quite a strong character, I felt, and 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 I and I did think that that I, w- I wondered if if the, the struggles that she goes through is how, why how she comes across as, as a, such a strong person. Did do you think that that's the case? Um, yes, I think to one extent it is. So I, I found Nell quite extraordinary to sort of create and and, and to write. Um, and it's almost I. In some ways, it's almost too easy to simply say that she's strong because she's had to be. I mean, it's that is true. She um, had uh, this sort of um, upbringing without sort of proper love or care that we don't want to imagine that people that have. Yeah. I mean, obviously, too many of them do. Um, but it's the ways in which she chooses to to use her strengths that I found made her really interesting to write and hopefully to read as well. So she um, she constantly surprised me in the way she reacted to the things that, that I put her through. So we're always taught as writers, you know, you're, you, you, you put your heroes or heroines up a tree and then you throw stones at them, you know, as, as the, the metaphor for <laughs> how we are, you know, um, uh, framing the heroic quest of our, of our story, as it were. Um, and Nell never did the things that I thought she would do, um, never reacted in the ways that I thought she would react. Um, and that was really interesting. That that really, you know, made her so compelling to to write and hopefully to read. So yes, yeah, she's a fighter, but she's so much more than that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and as you mentioned, that the, she does. And in, in the Starling Villa, she does meet an older man um, called called Robin. Um, and and I, I found their relationship that that, that builds in the book 
quite interesting because it's quite different from how you kind of think it's maybe going to turn out from the, the first meeting. Um, was was that something that you, you were hoping that the, the reader might feel that it kind of is a bit of a surprise kind of build of their relationship as the, the story goes through? Yeah, absolutely. So I always set out, I don't plot my books, but I always set out to surprise my readers. Um, so um, not only by, you know, uh, writing, I hope, um, many authentic and credible twists, you sort of believable um, twists, but also um, I go out of my way purposefully to avoid obvious outcomes or obvious responses from my from my characters to the situations that I land them in. So your response is perfect in that respect. Um, so Nell, as you say, Nell is employed by uh, Dr. Robin Wilder um, as his housekeeper at Starling Villas, and he's a very odd man. Um, he's a recluse. Um, he's an academic of some sort, but Nell doesn't really know what sort to begin with. He just lives surrounded by papers and boxes, and he has this, this rotor by which he insists the house um, is run. Um, um, but Nell more or less manipulates him into giving him um, the job in the house. You know, she's, she's in control of that bit of it because she's desperate to be in this creepy old house, which is the last place where her boyfriend Joe was seen. Um, uh, and she also needs a roof over her head because she's homeless at the beginning of the story. Yeah. And then to add an extra twist, there's, she also has this compulsion to be needed. Um, she has to be necessary to the people around her. Um, and so she enters into this sort of old fashioned um, servitude, if you like, to yeah. Robin Wilder. Um, and she's washing his floors and his shirts and she's making his meals and she's making his bed. Um, and she's really good at it. Um, and um, he starts to notice her, you know, he notices, first of all, that she's so quiet, that she's so efficient, that she's so neat. Um, but he also notices that she's not afraid of him, even when he loses his temper with her or um, she's just not afraid to be in this strange house with this strange man. Um, and so maybe he's falling in love with her, but maybe it's something more sinister than that. It's, you know, it's a, um, it's certainly it's the strangest seduction that I have ever uh, written uh, and part of it is inspired by a film called The Servant um, from 1963 um, if memory serves correctly so it's a film it's written by Harold Pinter um, okay. and it stars Dirk Bogart um, as the servant who completely upturns the, um, the household um, where he's employed and so that was part of my inspiration and Rebecca was also part of my inspiration and to a lesser extent the handmaid's tale in terms of the relationships you know between the characters yeah. um in the book but um but yes definitely i i was after something that would upset the reader's expectations i always feel you set a reader off down a certain path and you want them to start guessing obviously but you also want to to confuse and upset their expectations you know you want to surprise them so they get they start to feel comfortable. They think, oh, I know what's going on here. There's an older man and there's a, a younger woman. And um, uh, yeah. but it's not what you think it's it's it is. And it's it, and then it's not again what you think it was becoming. Um, so that for me is the the, 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 the the thrill of writing and the thrill of reading. So that's what I was definitely trying to do that. Yeah, and and as, as you mentioned, that, that she ends up at this house because she, she's trying to find her, her boyfriend, Joe. Um, at the time, and and he um, has kind of left her, I suppose, um, and, and followed a, another woman back to this house. Um, mm -hmm. And 
and that's how she kind of ends up trying to get into the house in the first place. And and whenever she does finally get into the house and discovers who the woman is, and there's obviously the 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 man, the older man, Robin, and Joe's nowhere to be seen. I think I think that Nell struggles a little bit to understand the kind of the the sort of connection between it all and, and what's what went what's happened it, it's quite a, a kind of complicated web that's kind of been going on at that point in the story i think isn't it yeah definitely so it's not again and you know not only is it not what the reader thinks it's going to be it's not what nell thinks it's going to be either which i think is crucial because she tells the majority of the story mm-hmm. um and i think you know the thing to remember about nell is that she's very young she's only 18 when this mm-hmm. this um story takes place and none of her life experiences up to that point have been what we would call normal. So she was given up um, to a foster mum by her own mother when she was very young really and her own mother then went on to start a new family with a new husband but she she left Nell in the foster home um, and then Nell from a, the age of about 10 she became effectively mum to the younger children in the foster home because the the actual foster mum Megan Flack um, was was you know not not somebody that you would want to be your mother not somebody that is um overflowing with maternal instinct if i can yeah. put it like that um and um a lot of the of what nell learned from that experience at that time was how to you know how to beware of the way people behave and she doesn't have any natural points of reference for normal behaviors or normal relationships mm-hmm. um and she's about 14 when she falls in love with joe who's about the same age and he's he comes to the foster home um but by the time the story opens she's discovered that he that that joe is you know reckless and, and, and desperate and he will do anything to survive um he's reached that point in his young life um she knows he went home with this older woman caroline wilder who she then discovers is Robin Wilder's ex-wife. Um, but it comes, it does, you're right, it comes as a horrible shock to her to be told what was going on in this house with, with, with Caroline, Carolyn and, and Robin and, and possibly with Joe as well. So I, I think of Nell as being in some ways an old soul. Yeah. Um, she's quite cynical about things like love and marriage, but at the same time, she is very young. She's been desperately in love with Joe, you know, and she's still seeking romance of some kind. She's easily sort of seduced into the idea of, of romance. And I think that those two sort of warring instincts in her are what make her um, vulnerable in one sense, but also in another sense, quite dangerous because she has, she's being pulled in different directions. And so nobody in the, in the house really knows what's coming when they 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 think that you know here's another young person has entered the house but they don't really they reckon without the person that Nell is I think they don't um they don't realize what hidden um sort of depths and uh, and strengths she has yeah definitely and I, I do I, I do find that actually quite interesting about just actually about you saying about her age because when I did start reading it, you you don't. I, I personally didn't think she was quite so young at, at the beginning of the story, and it did, and, and it's not until you kind of get a little bit further and you do realise that she is only kind of sort of late teens. Yeah. Um. So so I think she does definitely have that sort of old soul kind of feel to her a little bit, even very early on, and, and you're kind of wondering where that came from. But um, and and as you mentioned there, um, Carolyn is Robin's ex-wife, um, mm-hmm. and there is also Megan, who is the the 
foster mum, uh, 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 you find out in the story as well. Um, definitely my two least favourite characters in this or in, and I, I hope you're not offended by me saying that because I don't think they're intended to be likeable in any way. Um, um, what, which one of the, the two uh, do you find the kind of least likeable person out of the two? Because they're, they're two very interesting characters in, in yeah. a kind of un, unlikable way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit funny like this so I don't hate any of my characters and perhaps I should you know <laughs> there's only one character I've ever in all the seven books I've written so far there's only one character I felt was utterly irredeemable and that's a character from the first book I ever wrote and not a major character but a minor character so when it comes to sort of um Megan and Caroline Caroline I, I the thing is I love writing monsters I, I tend to I always end up liking my monsters too much and because partly because they're such fun to write um, I think any writer would agree with that. Writing your villains is, you know, there's a special something, a special frisson you get from writing <laughs> um, villainous characters. Um, so they are great fun to write. But I also, I do deliberately try and um, uh, make, give you at least something that is sympathetic or um, in each of those characters. So I, what I do, I, because like people, I don't believe that anybody is rotten through. Very, very few people are irredeemably rotten through and through um and even those people were children once and they you know they they, they wouldn't have, you wouldn't have thought that they were rotten through and through when they were a child so I always try to hold yeah. on to that little nugget it's the gray areas that interest me um so is Carolyn Wilder a savage sharp-tongued socialite who would like to grind Nell under her high heel yes yes she is but she's also a lonely woman uh, who's mm -hmm. grieving her lost youth and is Megan Flack a horrible old harridan who um, treats children like disposable sources of income and who is absolutely determined to wreak revenge on Nell um, for what she believes Nell has done? Um, yes, she is. But she also is, is lonely, you know, and she's afraid of dying alone um, in, in her case. Um, so I think I, I can't really... Um, say which of them I, I find least likable because I find I feel sorry for them to a certain extent to each of them in their own way they are both pretty awful people and I wouldn't want readers to think that I, I didn't have a book with proper you know unlikable characters in it because I think they're essential to a good book you know you need to have obstacles yeah. in the way of your heroes and these two women are definitely that yeah. um, but I, I think one thing I will say is that I do believe that at the end of the book by the end of the book, every character, good or bad, has sort of got what they deserved, which for me is yeah, a satisfying situation to be in at the end of a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought. I mean, I, I, although, like I say, they're probably my least favourite characters in the book and because because they, they do have that unlikable element to them. They, they do have that kind of vulnerable side to them as well that you, that you do kind of find, feel as you're reading it as well. Like, say, Callum does seem quite... Um, lonely and, and 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 Megan as well like to that to that as well. So definitely is is something that does come across as well as although, although they have the kind of those bad traits that you do dis discover, there is also that little kind of side of things that kind of pull them back back a little bit and do kind of pull the heartstrings a little. Some maybe occasionally. So it's good, so it's very well done. So yeah, another two good, good characters within the book. And one of the other things that I thought about the book as well that it does kind of tackle and, and highlight a, a lot of the potential negative effects of um, being placed in, in foster homes and things like that. And was that something that you intended to try and highlight a little bit with the book or is that kind of 
sort of um, say, it's, to, say to you? Yeah, it's, it's, um, so it's in the sense that it's been a theme in my writing previously. Um, I think to an extent, yes. Um, but I, what I, I'm, I'm always wary of making sweeping generalizations. Yeah. Um, and also I, what I don't like to do is sort of hit readers over the head with social political commentary. I think, you know, if it, it's there, if you want to find it, um, but um, mainly I would, I think on a largest, the broader scale, what the book is about is it's about, um, I suppose you'd say the cost of human frailty and the extremes, the extents to which any one of us might go in extremists in order to survive. Um, and I also think, you know, that it's, it's important to say that for, for many, many children, you know, um, foster care is absolutely essential. Yeah, um, and many, many children thrive in foster care. Yeah. Um, but Fragile is not a book about those children. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, um, and, and one of the, the children who is one of the more heartbreaking characters in it is Rosie. Um, and um, do, you, do you expect a few um, readers to kind of shed a few tears over Rosie um, once they discover her and, and discover her story and with the, the, throughout the book? Um, I hope so, yes, because as you say, it is heartbreaking. So um, whenever I go to tragedy in my books, which I do, um, I think most crime writers do, um, I always... Um, approach it from the point of view of, of sort of telling the, the big emotional truths. I, I don't like gratuitous tragedy. I don't want, um, and I don't like gratuitous violence. Um, what I what I always hope to do is to to establish a connection between the readers and the characters, um, and um, to move to move readers rather than to distress them unnecessarily. So um, my great hope, I guess, is that Rosie really comes to life on the page. Um, and that her tragedy will touch readers when when they um, discover it. Yeah, and I, I think it definitely will. Um, it's it's a it's a fantastic novel that has got a great set of characters all the way through it, um, and so many twists and turns, as you say. So I, I really hope that um, it does well, and when when it comes out, and also our, our readers, whenever they get a chance to to get their hands on it and enjoy it as well. So. Um, I hope it all goes well. How have you found um, launching a book this year? Because obviously it must be quite diff different launching a book in kind of the sort of lockdown scenarios that we've been in rather than kind of under normal times where you might be able to get out and about and promote it a bit in a different way. So how, how have you found the kind of actual kind of launching a book in the, the current circumstances? Well, I count myself very lucky that Fragile is coming out after bookshops you know had reopened um and libraries too you know because mm -hmm. goodness I've missed both you know especially independent bookshops I mean I'm very lucky that I moved during lockdown and there's two not one but two independent bookshops in the um quite small market town where I'm now living um but they've only just I've only just been able to go in them so we've been here for three months and you know it's finally finally the doors are open and it's wonderful to actually go in there um but other than that I guess I would say it's been a lot of zoom it's been a lot of Zoom festivals, it's been Zoom interviews, it's been Zoom catch-ups with, you know, my, yeah. my publisher team and my agent. Um, some of these have, in the grand tradition of Zoom, featured my cat. Um, <laughs> he, didn't quite, he can't quite exert himself to, to become an internet sensation because he's too lazy. He, um, <laughs> 
you know, but he's sleeping on the sheepskin rug behind me and he doesn't really like the bother of having to get up on a desk to actually physically appear. <laughs> but he does wonder why I am talking to the wall as far as he's concerned, but great chance <laughs> of having there. And he does, so occasionally he will get really annoyed and he'll start yowling around my feet and, you know, but he will, he will not, he doesn't like to be bothered getting up and finding out what it is I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing up here. But um, he's a lovely cat, he's Momo, and um, we wouldn't change him for the world. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, the, that's the, I think we're all kind of zoomed out a little bit, aren't we? I mean, it's great, thank goodness for Zoom, because otherwise I think we would have all gone a lot crazier, a lot faster. Um, yeah. But boy, would it be nice to be back inside a real library to do it to do a you know a, a chat to to real readers. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I mean, we obviously we have we have got big events planning throughout the rest of the year, and and it's that kind of unknown about exactly what we can and can't do at this point. So we're kind of yeah. sort of almost planning for both and and seeing seeing what what situation is whenever we get closer to to kind of like book week Scotland time and things like that sort of stuff. Um, so. It's just it's a, a strange thing for everyone there. So and and I, th I think uh, like you say, Zoom has been a, 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 or a, other kind of video conferencing things and things like that have definitely kind of been helpful for kind of just general life and kind of keeping things going and and also just for sharing cats because uh, because my, my 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 two cats do appear every so often as well and also. Um, uh, if, if my son's not a uh, nurse, he's, he's appeared in a few meetings here and there as well. <laughs> but it's just how life has been over the last year um, and what we've had to do. It's been so. very human in that sense, hasn't it? I mean, and that's been rather lovely because we, we get glimpses into people's real human lives as opposed yeah. to just, you know, when they're in their best clothes, on, you know, and on their best behaviour, sitting in front of a crowded room full of people. You know, it is a little glimpse into, into the humanness of all this, which I think is very it's been very good i think we should cherish that yeah definitely and it's definitely something i think that we, we would like to try and keep going in some way and have continue some sort of digital digital element to our services and things like that because it is a a new way of working for us um and it's something that we would definitely kind of hopefully like to keep going in some form and, and stuff so We'll see what the future brings in terms of that and things as well. Um, finally, um, just before we, we wrap up our, our wee interview here, um, I, also, I wanted to get see what what you have been reading because we have been kind of telling readers throughout the kind of months about what we've been reading and what we find interesting. But I thought it'd be nice to kind of get somebody different's opinion for for a change. So, have you had any kind of outstanding reads that's kind of really stood out to you over the last few months that you would like to recommend to people? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, this is my favourite bit of every interview is talking about other people's <laughs> books. It's so much easier than talking about your own. Um, so I absolutely love Erin um, Kelly's new book, Watch Her Fall, which is a sort of whirlwind um, thriller set in the world of ballet. Um, and it has one of the best twists I've read in absolutely ages. Um, I love um, When I Was Ten by Fiona Cummings, which is a really smart, really twisty, very human thriller. Um, fans of Jane Casey, I'm sure you have plenty of fans of Jane's. Um, her new standalone, The Killing Kind, out at the end of the May, and out at the end of May, is brilliant, really astute and psychological, but also absolutely packed with twists. Um, and right at this very moment, I am reading Laura Lippmann's new novel, Dream Girl, which is it's just simply spectacular. It is fantastic. So, you know, all fans of sort of noirish um, thrillers, and particularly, you know, Laura's, Laura's books, um, absolutely going to love Dream Girl. 
Fantastic. There you go. So we've got some fantastic recommendations here. And of course, obviously your own book, Fragile, to watch out for in, in the near future as well. So thank you very much, Sarah, for joining me. And um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic. So there you have it guys, thank you very much to Sarah for joining me and doing that interview, it was a great ch chat with her and I wish her all the best with the launch of her new book. It will be available on Borrowbox in e-audiobook form when it is released and it will be available in our libraries as well to grab if you get a chance, so do check it out, it's a fantastic read and also check out some of the recommendations that Sarah threw, out, threw in there at the end as well. This is the end of the season three for us, so I hope you have enjoyed our podcast this season. We will be back soon with more episodes, so don't worry, we're not going anywhere just yet. If you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast, do leave us a little bit of feedback on social media using hashtag FLBpodcast, and we will be back again soon. But for now, guys, it's bye from us. Bye!